0: Welcome to episode 76 of The Real Photo Show. My guest today is Ryan Casey. Uh, Ryan and I recorded this episode at the reception for her show, Loss Event, which was at the JKC Gallery last month, and it was in front of a packed house. Uh, We had a lot of people at the reception, so we also took some questions, uh, which you will hear at the end of the episode. So some of you may have noticed that my show release dates have been a little bit erratic. I've always tried to keep to a 14-day schedule. But I've been missing those deadlines as of late and not by uh, a whole lot, but, uh, you know, enough for me to start thinking about what I can do to free up a little more time um, and make the the releasing of the episodes a little easier. And one, so one of the things I'm going to do is, is cut out the announcements about events, uh, unless it's sort of directly related to the show or something that is sort of right in front of me when I'm. Uh, recording this so my apologies to those of you who have sent me a few facebook event uh, invites this past couple weeks although i have to say most of those events have already passed so they would not have made the episode anyway and about six of those events were purely in french and i know as much fun as it is for you to hear me botch names in two different languages i probably would not have read those anyway Now, having said that, I actually do have two announcements directly related to the show. I will be doing a live episode with Charles Trow at the School of Visual Arts MFA Photo, Video, and Related Media Program at 214 East 21st Street in New York City. And that will be from 7 to 9 p.m. And we'll be talking about Charles' new book, Taradiddle. And if you don't know what that means, come to the show or look it up, like I'd had to. We'll also be talking about the 30th anniversary of the MFA program and the changes Charles has seen over the years, not just with student work, but also his own work. So come on out for that, and I think the plan is to take questions from the audience at different times during the recording. All right, uh, also on October 12th, I'm doing another live recording, and that is with the show I juried in Atlantic City at the Noise Arts Garage. That will be from 6 to 8 p.m. I think from 6 to 7, I'll be announcing the award winners. And then from 7 to 8, I'll be doing the show with the Juror's Choice Award recipient and some of the members of the Noise Arts Garage. Uh, so come on down to Atlantic City. I just booked my hotel and I think the the website I used uh, said Atlantic City was 36% booked or something like that. So the rates were pretty decent. So my guest again today is Ryan Casey, and Ryan actually teaches in the photo program at Mercer County Community College as an adjunct. She also teaches art history, and she teaches for Stockton University and a number of other colleges because that's what you have to do when you're an adjunct in order to make a decent wage. We actually talk about the life of an adjunct and how it's not really compatible with an artist also having a full career, the kind of career that... Those same very same colleges look for when they're hiring. It's not always, or it's almost never, how many courses you've taught and how good of an instructor you are. It's, you know, those applications are always asking for your record in showing and your record in publishing. Uh, So we have a nice conversation about that, as well as her show, which is called Loss Event where Ryan combines personal loss with public loss and the loss of public lands and the loss of her friend who is a park ranger and introduced her to national parks. So it's a really great discussion, uh, a moving discussion, including some great questions and comments from the audience, uh, which included Wendell White, who is a former guest of the show and Ryan's mentor. Uh, So that was a nice connection. In fact, Ryan brought quite a contingent of students, family and friends from all over, including Stockton University. So thank you to everyone who came out for this show. All right, so before we get started, let me just give you a little bit more of a bio on Ryan. She is a Philadelphia, New Jersey-based artist, curator, and organizer. She has exhibited in and around Philadelphia and New York City, while also working as an adjunct professor teaching photography, art history, and critical theory. Uh, She holds a BA in photography with a minor in gender studies from Stockton University and an MFA and an MS in photography and art history from Pratt Institute. But, you know, equally impressive to Ryan's background and her education and her own work is her ability to connect with students. I've seen that firsthand at Mercer, and I think you'll get a sense of that and how much she really does care about her students through this conversation. So thanks for listening. Enjoy the show, everyone. And we will talk soon.
1: So Ryan has
0: notes, and I have uh, three words.
1: <laughs> I mean, I don't have that many notes, it's just like a few. <laughs> like five notes, yeah. five notes with very small writing. It's fine.
0: <laughs> well, I think we should start by talking about the show.
1: Okay. <laughs> Is this good? Is this? Am I, yeah, okay. just
0: make sure you're leaning in there. I'm leaning in. All right. So uh, first of all, uh, I just want to point out that Ryan's students always come out in numbers and mine don't. <laughs> Any of my students here, raise your hand. No, see? Not a single <laughs> one. Oh, yay, oh, yes. Lizzie. That's right. That's right. Amanda. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So uh, the, show, the title of the show is Loss Event. And uh, it's a series of 13, 12 photos. Uh, 12, not straight photos. These are, these are um, images that are made from a, a series of, a combination of alternative processes. Yeah. Do you want to start there and talk about the process?
1: I think that's probably the easiest. Uh, So the process that you're seeing here is called second pass lith. Uh, What it essentially entails is you are basically going through the typical tray process, silver gelatin, and then you're bleaching it and then bringing it back in what's called a lith developer. So essentially you're developing this image twice. Uh, The challenging part is that lith is notoriously difficult to work with. Uh, There's no consistency in it, so whatever effect that you want to have, you want to try to replicate it, is very annoying and very difficult to get there. So um, that's actually why I chose it, because it's so temperamental, and I sort of like like the idea of letting go a bit in terms of how it's going to look. What the lith does, and I did bring a sample of what one of the original images looked like so you can kind of do a comparison. The lith makes it muddier, it makes it grittier, there's a loss of clarity. And so one of the big ideas for me was to take this inherently beautiful, basically, image uh, or location and make it murky and really emphasize a loss. Because uh, For me, it, w- it didn't make sense conceptually to create beautiful vistas if I was talking about what I was talking about.
0: Did, did everyone get a chance to see the, the photo here? No, do you, do you can they? No, sure, yeah, no, you okay. can.
1: I I've handled it quite a bit. Okay. So that's the same type of paper that I used in the other prints. Um, it's called Art 300 for those of you who are like art nerds. Uh, so it's an Ilford paper, and what's special about it is it's a matte paper, but it has a lot of texture in it, and it's really special also because um, it's not very clear. Uh, if you look, use like a warm tone paper or use a traditional silver gelatin paper. Typically, there's a Clean surface. The paper that I used has a texture to it, and so that really increases the lack of clarity, which was something that I very specifically did.
0: So I think, and I think that's worth mentioning. You you start with a very clear. Uh, image with a lot of tonal range Mm -hmm. and then this process begins to remove some of that yes the contrast goes up the tonal range goes down Uh, why
1: all right so (laughs) uh well one of the things that I wanted to do is and we'll probably get a little bit more into it is um I started the project after a really pretty important event I had lost a friend of mine uh she had uh died in a car accident and so after that point making art was really challenging for me and I think within a couple months of that event I started thinking about ways to get through it. And to be honest, like, and we'll talk more about it, uh, it was near impossible. And so uh, I just thought, you know what, I'm going to do this project. I don't know if I'll be able to commit to it because this is, you know, the idea of photographing all the national parks, there's 60 of them, seems monumental. But I'm just going to start doing it. And one of the things that, uh, the, one of the reasons why I chose national parks was because Sarah, uh, my friend who passed, she was a park ranger in Mount Hood and also introduced me to national parks. So it seemed like a fitting road for me to be on. With that in mind, choosing that paper and choosing a process that removes clarity that or you lose something was actually really important to me. There have been plenty of photographers out there that create amazing, incredible images in national parks. That's not what this is about. And so every step should suggest there's some intention uh, to show that loss.
0: And there's a you know, a a history of pictorialism of particularly women being criticized for lack of technique or lack of expertise because they wanted something less clear. They wanted something more pictorial or they 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 were looking for an atmospheric effect, right? Yeah.
1: It, well, and Cameron is would be Jane, a good, yeah right. would be a good example of that. Uh, and I don't know so much if I sort of thought about that beforehand, but I, I do think that I didn't want to fall into the category of someone like Watkins or Ansel Adams or any of those sort of big names who had photographed the national parks very Timothy early O'Sullivan, on. Timothy Edward yeah. and I, yeah. And and I think that you know those artists are doing something that's important. It's just not what I'm interested in doing. Uh, Because the point wasn't to show these incredible natural green spaces uh, for the beauty that they have. It was about trying to track how I felt in them and also about some of the concerns I've been talking about in the other work I had done up to that point, which is a lot about environmental degradation. And so that was definitely an important thing for me to basically merge those two things somehow together. Yeah,
0: well, the show's title is Loss Event, and that has a dual meaning. Yes. Right. That is the loss of natural parks, especially what's going on now with the reduction in size of natural parks and the loss of your friend, Sarah. Yeah. Right. And how we deal with a personal or private and a public grief in a sense.
1: Right? Yeah. And I think one of the things that I've I didn't realize at the time was going to be so important to me because it was so early on in the grieving process was that I wanted to make grief a really public event. Uh, Grief has a fundamental weight that you carry with you. Uh, It's something that regardless of who you are, it's with you. It's sort of hanging out. It's part of who you are. And it can be really isolating. And because of that, uh, you feel really distant and disconnected. And I'm someone who has an incredible family and support system. I can't imagine someone who doesn't have that. And so part of the project was also really making sure that people have a space to grieve and that you can talk about it two or three months or five years afterwards. And it's still important and there's still room for it. And I don't necessarily think we, in our society, particularly, we don't give people that much room to do that. And so I made an art show for you to do that, basically.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that is how it works. I mean, because these aren't the, the classic uh, landscape photographs with the most exacting detail of the work of like Ansel Adams or someone like that, that there is something very meditative about spending time with each one. It's kind of looking into the dark areas of the photo, right? Yeah. Uh, and... They are also, the shape is, is very unique, right? I mean, these are yeah. circular photographs, and there's a, a tie, of course, there's a, a direct tie, of course, to what photography is with a circular image because all cameras record circular images, right? Yeah. We just happen to capture them in rectangles or squares or other forms, right? And so there's a, a real, um, and, and the alternative process as well, there's, a, there's this tie to the history of photography a tie to what photography is, but then you let go of that in the process because you're willing to let go of the detail. Yeah, and so there's a there's there is that space to just sort of take it in as uh, a place, but also as kind of just sort of wide open space, right? This kind of peaceful place. And although actually some of them are not so peaceful. Yeah, right? I, I, was, yeah. I was gonna say,
1: yeah. uh, peaceful <laughs> is actually not how I feel about them. And it could be because of how I created it. And you know, to be honest, um, I thought the most difficult part of the process would be actually going through letters and finding it, and it was to a point. But making the work was actually really difficult. Looking at the images were really difficult. Although I'm exceptionally privileged and and grateful to have the opportunity to go to these parks, I'll be honest, I cried hard at each and every one of them. There's at least about 10 to 20 minutes of every trip I've taken where you're doing the work and you're doing the work, but you come to the realization of why you're doing the work. And so the images were actually really painful to make. Uh, I don't see art in this respect for me as a healing process. This is just a way to manage it, not necessarily remove it.
0: It's not therapy. No, it's definitely
1: not therapy. And, and, And art is therapy to some people, it just happens to not be for me. Uh, but in terms of the circle, uh, so I have sort of two distinct references that I was thinking of. So you have the Kodak camera, which we've spoken about, uh, but also, and this is sort of an uh, unlikely connection, but those of you in my Art History 2 class, uh, <laughs> you might have remembered I talked about Bramante's, uh, and the Bramante's work a lot would use a dome or what we call a central plan. Jesus' is a circle, and there's a really a lot of documentation that talks about why he did that. Some have suggested that it signifies the sort of never-ending love of God, the sort of that repetition, uh, but the other reference is that it sort of means the universe, so it's ongoing, and I thought the circle, for me, meant this sort of continuingly dealing with grief, but also the love of this person that I had lost, and so I thought, for me, every decision I make should be talking about at least two things and so the circle uh, I had thought about the circle and because I looked at the Kodak cameras and I liked that reference of age but it was only until I started teaching about Bramante they went oh no this actually makes sense on this other level you as know, well
0: spiritual is a better description than peaceful
1: yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah and but it's it's strange because I mean I don't I'm not a religious person at all and so this winds up just being about um, how I view the world you know from a very scientific point of view but i sort of like the idea that he was maybe doing that too
0: right and yeah. and that spiritual connection does also tie you to some of the, the 19th century work as well because yeah. they also were not particularly worshipping a kind any partic- any religion one religion or one god um but they did feel a, a great sense of spirit when they were out photographing and mostly because you have to imagine you know you're a European, you're living in crowded places, crowded cities, uh, and you come to the United, you know, you come to the U.S. or the the what were then uh, uh, unclaimed territories by us, but of course, well-settled territories by others. <laughs> and yeah. But then it's just this vast space, right? This is a space you've never seen before. You've never seen this distance before, right? And this giant, these giant skies.
1: Well, I'm being awe-inspired. I mean, mm. like, there's not a lot of things in our life where you walk out into something and you feel overwhelmed by the sheer grandeur of something. And I will say, you know, of all the things that, of all the places I've seen, some of the ones that you see in this show, uh, it is, it takes you aback, you know, it's just really incredible. Yeah. And, you know, with that, though, uh, you know, you would think I'd want to make it pretty, but it winds <laughs> up not being the case. Uh, and, you know, and even uh, the one that's sort of on the wall over there, that's from the Grand Canyon. and it, uh, And it's interesting, because the Grand Canyon, I went twice, once before the project, and once after. But um, my first trip after Sarah passed was to the Grand Canyon for the first time. So I think that trip and that sense of awe and being part of something bigger, meaning nature, not, not religion, that felt that felt actually really somehow, not peaceful is not the right word, but it felt like I was connected to something outside of myself, uh, uh, which is challenging when you're grieving. So yeah. the,
0: the second, you felt it as a real distinction between your first visit your... Second visit?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the first visit made me feel grateful and sad, and also like I was connected. The second trip, because I think it, it was more in the tone of the project, uh, it was definitely a little heavier. Uh, as, as, I, as I went there. Um, and like I said, it, it's like these incredible experiences, but then you have these moments while you're on these trips where suddenly you're deeply affected by the fact that, you know, you can't write a postcard to this person and you can't share this. And, and you know, uh, Sarah and I traveled extensively together to multiple countries, to multiple places. And so she's someone I would have been with if not for this situation.
0: Did you find yourself having a, a conversation in your head with her.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, and that's, it's hard because I don't think I did that for the first year or two. Um, but I think as I've gone through the project a little bit more, uh, you know, you get more in touch with emotions that come along with loss. Yeah.
0: So you said you grew up with great family support. Where did you grow up?
1: I grew up, I was born not in Newark, but right outside of Newark. Uh, my mom and I uh, lived there for a while, and then we moved to Caldwell, New Jersey, where I spent most of my childhood. I lived in Basking Ridge for a little while, and then we moved to South Jersey
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, when I was in college. Just, but I, Just your mom. Well, my mom and, and and my dad, but I live with my mom prior, right. primarily. And then I saw my dad on weekends and my <laughs> brother and sister. I'm looking at my sister right now.
0: <laughs> We're going to have some personal questions now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, but yeah, I mean, I grew up in North Jersey, and uh, my both my family, uh, both sides of my family, is from Newark, um, from uh, Valesburg and uh, Down Neck, and so that's been sort of mostly where I've kind of pulled. Which is interesting because you have this kind of in all these beautiful green spaces, and that's not what I grew up with. Hmm. I grew up in parks, like right. like small city
0: parks, <laughs>
1: you know. But that was my only access to it. I didn't see a national park till I was. With Sarah, mm-hmm. at all. So, yeah, yeah, it took a while.
0: And w- you th- was there anything, do you think, uh, the kind of work your your parents did, the kind of... Um sort of environment you grew up in that sort of led you to art? Or was that more of a rebellious thing?
1: (laughs) Uh, I mean, I'm not going to say I wasn't rebellious. Uh, (laughs) But what I will say is that uh, I think both my grandmother and my mom were big influences in terms of what I eventually went into. Uh, My grandmother was a teacher in the North school system for 35 years. And uh, my mom always wanted to be a teacher, but she, you know, uh, struggled uh, when she had me financially and she just never went back to school, but she always wanted to be a teacher. And so I think that's what kind of led me to the education part of it. But my grandmother, because she was a highly educated person, especially for that time period, she would sit me down and open up these these kind of massive books. And if you have grandparents, you might have seen them. They're these big books with these plates that mm-hmm. they're like move. They're like removable imagery, but they're like really high quality. And she would sit me down, and she would kind of go through each page and go, you know, Ryan, what do you think about this? Oh. Uh, what do you like about this? And I think without me realizing it, she was totally training me <laughs> to yes. be an artist. <laughs> uh, but it, but interesting enough, I did not change to art. I was a marine biology major for the first three years of my college. Was that at Stockton? Yes, it was. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually only changed into photography, into art. Uh, I waited, actually, uh, it was ushered in by her passing. Yeah, my grandmother passed, and I changed my major about six months later. Oh, wow. Yeah, Yeah. so that was... uh, I would say that she in two different ways, made sure that I was a photographer, right. you know, because when you lose, I grew up with my grandmother. I uh, stayed, stayed with her quite a bit. And so uh, when she passed, I think I just went, I don't want to do anything that, that doesn't feel right.
0: What made a city girl interested in marine biology? I love sharks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, in, in a story that my dad will probably hate me telling, uh, he showed me jaws when I was five years old. Uh, and I got obsessed uh, with it. Yeah, and I got, re- like, really obsessed with it. <laughs> I, and so, I, two of my friends are shaking there. So, it, that's what really uh, brought it in. And I was always really good at science. I was actually really good at art and science growing up. And I actually think they're much more linked than people give it credit for. Mm-hmm. T- people tend to be um, a little bit of both. And so, I... Yes. Yeah. You know, I was good at physics, I was good at bio, uh, and so that's eventually where I was. I had a minor in photography when I went to Stockton, and then it switched mm-hmm. uh, from a, a minor in marine biology and a major in photography.
0: Yeah, it, it, comes out, it comes up a lot. A lot of photographers started out in the sciences, yeah. right? And, uh, there, you know, there's always a, a little bit of um, the reputation or that, that you weren't smart enough or good enough to continue with that, and so you went to the art world. Right. Oh,
1: and see, that's the opposite. I did really well in my science class, except for organic chemistry, which was <laughs> awful. Uh, but other than that, I was really good at, at at science. That really wasn't the issue. It was mostly after she died, I started thinking about what I really wanted out of my life. And the things I wanted to do, travel, the things that I saw myself creating, it, it wasn't scientific. It was It was artistic. So that's what eventually led me there.
0: Yeah. And when you um, decided to switch majors, I mean, you were at Stockton. Yep. Were you aware of the art program, the photography program?
1: I was already in the photo program from being a minor, and i had already had a head professor, Wendell White, who had taught me, and I had really good experiences up to that point. So it was actually a pretty natural transition into it.
0: Right, so yeah. it was an easier transition than saying, oh, I have to apply to another college, and then think, right?
1: Yeah, you still have to put in, I think, a portfolio. I don't remember as as far back as that is, but... Um, is that true, Wendell? A portfolio, right? <laughs> yeah <laughs> but I, I mean Wendell knew me uh, one of the things I did when I was a student was I was a student worker and so I was doing that even before I had switched over as I was a work-study student and so I worked in the in, art program I, yeah in the dark room specifically oh, okay. yeah yeah so you're so,
0: already pretty familiar with the process yeah. did you do any of that in high school
1: I did I did photography in high school, yes, uh, and I had a really great teacher uh, when I moved to Basking Ridge, and for the two years that I was there, I was able to learn quite a bit from her. That was really what interested me in uh, photography, is I'd always wanted to try it, I always had cameras, my parents had always given me cameras, and so I took my first class, darkroom Film? class. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, no, I didn't get a digital camera until like... 2006 yeah like I was like the last of them I was really against getting a digital camera up to that point yeah I was still doing yeah I was still doing film even all the stuff I did in grad school was all film
0: mm-hmm.
1: medium format film
0: what was your uh, grad school work like and so then you went on to Pratt for grad school yes right? yeah who did you study with there
1: uh, uh Alan Frame Oh, okay. Alan Trim, yeah. No,
0: wait, you know what? I, I jumped ahead. What was So what was the photo program like at oh, Stockton? So,
1: the photo program was excellent. <laughs> and, and, re- and remember that Wendell is right here. <laughs> uh, you know, it's 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 really pretty interesting to look back on it because I don't think I understood how good I had it at that program <laughs> until I went to grad school. Because I had Alan my last year, and he was he was fabulous. He was amazing. But I had a lot of challenging... A teachers up to that point uh, in grad school one of the things about Stockton's program is that Wendell is on top of it And I mean that in every way in terms of the program I mean those of you who are students know this he answers your emails right away You know, he's always around when you have questions And the great thing about it is that he's a really good professor and happens to be an incredible artist That pairing is not very common people tend to be one or the other not both And so I was really lucky in that respect and I think not to embarrass him too much for being here, but <laughs> but <laughs> uh, I think my I've always been a very uh, active person in political causes, but I think the idea of putting it into my work really didn't come into play until I met Wendell oh okay. yeah, and so it became much more a part of what I did
0: so when you started the program, what kind of work were you making
1: in in Stockton Stockton yeah uh just you know, the worst. <laughs> sort of the, the,
0: the work you have to make to move yeah. on. You know, yeah. like, oh,
1: here's a picture of my friend in front of a black backdrop in my dorm room, you know? <laughs> like, you know, just the stuff you got to get through to get to the good stuff. Uh, you know, you're learning technique and you're learning these other elements. When I was in high school... I learned quite a bit about the process, but really Stockton was about trying to hone the concept, you know, make it about something more. And it took me a little while to get there. And eventually, though, it, it sort of worked out. <laughs> but it was, yeah, I mean, it was like the first black and white class you take is awful. You're just producing mm-hmm. terrible things. You just want it to come out, right? And so it took me a while to learn light, and light is sort of the most important
2: element. <laughs> <Yes>. Yeah. <laughs> so.
0: And, and photography is really only half of what you do. You're also an art history major, a uh, grad and professor. Yep. And where, when did that start?
1: Uh, that was in grad school, honestly. Uh, I did not go to grad school anticipating being a teacher. Uh, that was not a thought. I just realized after Stockton that I was still figuring out who I was going to be as an artist, and I felt like I needed more time to do that. And so I wanted to take more theory classes and art history classes and take more, Photography classes. I take. A, I took a full year of alternative processes, and that opened the door to a lot of new things. So grad school was about me evolving as an artist, but it wound up me also assisting a lot of classes, and that wound up being where teaching became a big issue. But to be honest, uh, I, I I think my grandmother set me up for that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right? all the, I mean she all the way- was
0: asking you to like critique and interpret images very early on and I
1: think that's why it took me a little while because it was so subtle and then when I got to grad school and I started assisting a number of art history courses I took the first one I did was a modern art course and I did a contemporary art class I realized that even assisting made me feel like I was effectively putting something out in the world that was important and so as an artist that's important but this gives me another level of just purpose in in my life, you know, so it's, yeah, it's it's something that became important.
0: (laughs) So Stockton was really, you picked because of marine biology, and then you got into photography and all, so what made you choose Pratt then?
1: Uh, That's really interesting. Uh, I grew up in northern New Jersey, as I mentioned, and I had been in and out of New York. Uh, I used to go to shows all the time, so I wanted to be back in the city, and so I really sort of catered my applications to cities. Uh, so you know, Tyler was one, and then but my my goal was Pratt. Pratt was what I wanted. Uh, from you know, there's a long history at Pratt of really famous photographers, mm-hmm. and the program was interesting. Alan Frame's work was interesting. That was a big thing: is finding teachers whose work I respected and found to be purposeful. And that's where Pratt came in Uh, and they also had a program where you could do a dual a dual grad degree and that was something i was toying around with my first year in grad school and so that that sort of kept me there uh, it was a long program, but it was it was interesting. <laughs> that, yeah. So
0: you, that's an MFA and then an MS? An, an MS.
1: An oh, MS. An MS. Yeah, right. Master's of Science, of so Criticism and Theory. Wow. And to be honest, uh, one of the reasons why I did choose Stockton, though, is I chose Stockton for the Marine Bio Program, which is very good. But also, they're one of the few uh, schools I applied to that had a Marine Bio Program and a photography program that was well-known.
0: And gender studies you did and right? gender studies yes. as well
1: yeah I like a lot of things you have a lot of degrees yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well the gen- the gender studies definitely came out of my activism uh, and the things that were important to me as I as I grew up you know I remember being when I was like five years old uh, my mom had this shirt from an organization called National Organization of Women now and the shirt was just like a fish on a bicycle and then the the like the wording was, a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. And, uh, you know, but I distinctly remember being like four or five years old and being like, huh, that's pretty interesting. Uh, So I think my mom kind of set me up for that. And I've become, from that point, really politically active. I was the head of the club there at Stockton, the Gender Studies Club. I was, you know, so I sort of was really active. I did a lot of protesting. I did a lot of volunteering. In fact, the project I did for Stockton, my final thesis, I volunteered at a number of places, including domestic violence shelters, as well as uh, places that dealt with poverty and women. And so that's always been a component of the work, and so, you know, it's, it sort of mixed everything together.
0: Well, that, that activism actually does put another piece in the puzzle, because uh, this summer, this past summer, uh, you volunteered to do some work here at the gallery. Uh, one was a, a pop-up art show that we did at a jazz fest, and you know, inviting all kinds of groups to attend and show their work and sell their work. But then you did. And you worked with the jazz students. You actually did a jazz photo session with the, the jazz yeah. students, which was fantastic. Yeah. You to, well, actually, let's talk about that a little bit, that experience.
1: Well, this, this is actually not completely new. Uh, I w- I've been volunteering with Girls Rock Philly uh, for the last couple of years. And up until about two years ago, I was doing band photos for them. So I'd been part of those workshops, and I really enjoyed it. And uh, I got just so much out of that experience so when Scott was like hey you know we can do this I just thought that was like another way that I can use the skill set I have to help students uh, reflect on their own music and who they want to be it also ties into work that I did earlier in my career uh, I was a commercial photographer for a period and mostly it was for bands uh, I, I worked for a couple of different labels punk labels was and, that
0: out of grad school or? Uh, no that was prior to grad school okay. was there a time between undergrad and grad it was six months. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, no. <laughs>
1: yeah. From about uh, age 17 till about 21, I uh, worked with a number of bands and, and labels, uh, and I would do press kits, I would do live shots, and so I was sort of in that. So, the Jazz Institute was very, you know, yeah. it connected with that experience, yeah. I don't want to do any of that stuff again, but I mean, right, at this point. Right, not the
0: commercial part, right. <laughs>
1: no, I don't want to work with bands ever. like, yeah, if you're in a band, that's great. I don't want to work with you, though. Oh Yeah. <laughs>
3: No, <laughs> I saw an ouch. <laughs> no,
1: because you're really difficult.
3: <laughs>
1: uh, and you know, and also, it's just not what I want to be doing anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's not it's not what I find interesting.
0: Right, and yeah. then and then uh, right after that event, uh, you you volunteered to do a um, basically a, a similar to what your work is. Photographing and connecting it to grief with it was a, with an outreach program here at Mercer. Right? Yeah. yeah,
1: and so it's a community development program. Uh, they serve, uh, I think, the acronym is, is HSE and, and the ESL students. And so one of the things I wanted to do is just find a way to incorporate what I was talking about in the work because this work doesn't mean anything if it doesn't also reach out to other people and, and have people look at it and comment on it and reflect on it. So I built basically. Uh, a program where they would come in, look at the artist statement, walk around, kind of read the text, get a little bit more into that. And then I had them go into the next room and respond to the, the question, um, you know, uh, I think, how do, you f- how do you define grief? Or, or how, uh, what does grief mean to me? That's, That's what it is, yeah. Yes. And so they had about 15 minutes to really reflect on that question. Some of them chose to write words that sort of reference grief. Others chose to give stories, personal stories about it. And then they got into teams and they created a Polaroid trying to kind of bring some of those words and some of those messages in and I really like the idea of the program because it really allowed students to reflect on the things that they had experienced that were similar to mine uh, and also if they wanted to in the language that they felt most comfortable in and so what I like about the the pieces is that it's it's varied. Um, some people drew, some people uh, spoke in French, uh, some people spoke <laughs> in English. So it, I think there's just the idea that it, although it's different, they're all connecting on this one thing that we all unfortunately experience.
0: Yeah, and yeah. did you see uh, you know a moment in them when they they could they could make that connection with art and grief and ortho- yeah, it was. Yeah.
1: It was surprising how strong it was with certain students as well. I had three to four students, because they they came in, in groups. I had three to four students over the course of the day that just started to physically cry, like uncontrollably. And that was a unexpected. Did you
0: also then cry? <laughs> I, I
1: mean, it, y- yes. I mean, like, I, w- I, th- I would
0: have. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I tried to keep it together uh-huh. because you know, I also wanted people to have space to have that moment for themselves too. I didn't want to in- intrude on that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that was something about the show that I thought I would be crying. I didn't necessarily expect other people to cry about it, but you know, I would. Ha- there was two women specifically that sat in front of the pieces and just cried. And I was like, Okay, you know, I, I was surprised on how powerful. That um, emotion was.
0: Why were you surprised? You just did a whole series. Yeah,
1: <laughs> but I mean, it feels so personal, yeah. and, and it y- fe- you,
0: its hard to imagine it in yeah. others, right? Yeah. yeah. Well,
1: and it feels like something because I—I mean, this is the first time I've shared any of this imagery. I mean, I, you know, Wendell is someone who's known me for a while. I'm really secretive about things in terms <laughs> of my work, and so I don't show people a lot until it's actually up. And so it felt really private and really small. And when I had people look at it and they responded, I realized how. Much much larger of an idea this was than I had originally intended mm-hmm. you know so because that personal part of it makes it feel precious to just you right but that's not the case you no know?
0: it's yeah. also not the job of the artist to just keep it to yourself
1: yeah, yeah. I mean I'm really bad at sharing those <laughs> yeah. <things. laughs> so yeah I, I mean this is my third year in this project and it's the first time I'm showing any work and so um, you know I'm good at keeping it secret
0: (laughs) and we got it first (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) and you know and that's this is though inspired me that um you know I'm working a lot more in the production part of it instead of just the concept and and photographing Uh, it took me a while to settle on what this would look like in in this section and now that I have this I actually know from this experience what the second set's going to look like because it will be different
0: and and so yeah that was my next question now that you're, you, it's a curated show. You finally get to see what seems like a, a, fine, a finished piece, right? Yeah. And you had to write the text for the first time, yeah. which you struggled with, I know. <laughs> uh, and, and so, yeah, so how, how does it evolve now?
1: So uh, one thing I will say is it doesn't feel finished in the same way anything else I've ever done. No, I done. just meant
0: it, it is a moment where you pause and it's like, all right, yeah. this part is... This is what this is, right?
1: Well, what's different about this series is that um, everything else I've done, you know, um, the women's series I did at Stockton, the history series I did at Pratt, and some of the um, dark at the end of everything series I did on glass, all that stuff felt very final, where it was like, here's this thing. I'm done and moving on. But this show is the first show I've ever done that feels continued. And that's actually allowed me a lot more openness and a lot more freedom to be able to experiment in ways that I think are interesting. Like, I'm not even completely sold on... Everything in this show, like I show, I'm definitely gonna go back and print things again uh, because I'm always unsatisfied with everything. Uh, There's only two pieces in the show that I feel completely 100% sure of. That's a Uh, very
0: small percentage.
1: That's you know what? That's a high percentage for me though. Anyone who knows me long enough knows that I am a perfectionist when it comes to that. But um, what wound up happening is that as I was doing the show, I was like, oh, I totally know what's gonna happen next, and. The goal is to create basically three distinct sets from the park series. And they all look completely different, but they have continuations like the gold and the circle. So, but they're gonna be different translations of it. And my thought process on that is to make sure each set references a different stage of grief not these stages of grief but different aspects of grief so here we have the loss and distance the next one will be the overwhelming feeling of being kind of closed in by things and being uh, just feeling like you're getting lost uh, in the middle of many things so like most of the next series will focus on interior scenes of forest which is not something you see in any of these images right. these, these are much more barren and so i know the set Next, because as I was doing this, I was like, this is the next evolution, you know. And, but I wanted them to still feel connected so there would be elements that continue through the, through the pieces.
0: Is this work you already have or work that you need to shoot?
1: Uh, I would say 60% of it's already I already have. Uh, the rest will probably happen in the next few months. So it's, it's yeah.
0: a lot of this work you have, you didn't actually know what it was going to look like eventually.
1: So when I went to the parks, I had three things I was shooting in every park. And I knew in general what i was looking for but the exact process and exact uh, look of it i didn't which was the first time it's ever happened to me i've always kind of been planning ahead Uh, And so this time, in every park, I wanted to create a vista, something from a distance, wanted to get close up to something. And so you're feeling sort of in the middle of everything, typically focusing on trees and sort of that space. And then the last one, the small minute details of national parks, the small plants and flowers that are often overlooked. And so those three images were what every time I went to a park, I looked to photograph. And so that's what I'm pulling from. With the series.
0: And, and then, so the process might change?
1: Uh, this process will stay. Uh, okay. so th- this is pretty set. I'll go back and reprint things because, as I mentioned, Lith is a little bit difficult. The second process, I already know what it's going to be. Um, I'm going to use Gold Leaf and it'll be digital, which is, mm. you know, I'm going to shift into that. But it's going to be a kind of combination of alternate processes with digital. And then the last one is still something I'm sort of working on. And sure. it's in my head. Yeah. yeah.
0: And you, you actually just rattled off a, a bunch of other projects that you did. Yeah. And someday, you'll all be able to see those when Ryan finishes her website. Yeah. <laughs>
1: It's, it's really. I was doing this, <laughs> you know. This, yeah, the website was like last on the list of things. I'm really bad at social media, <laughs> so.
0: RyanCasey.com, right? Yeah.
1: No, I mean, I have a yeah. website. Oh it's, no, no, it's, I know you have yeah, a website.
0: There, it, yeah. it was. It was a bit little dated, and you took it down. Yeah. And mm-hmm. but your Instagram account is up. Yeah. Which is.
1: Oh, it's Ryan R Y A N N dot K-C-C-I-S-C-Y. And, right. Yeah. And so that's Instagram. that's the handle for it. Uh, but that's actually what I use to track all my progress in the parks. Uh, if, if you follow yes. me, you'll actually see really beautiful vistas. And then I make them into this so you can see the alternative. <laughs> see the bit. before. <laughs> the before. yeah. And I shoot a combination of digital and uh, analog. So I have a wealth of it from from mm-hmm. both. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, what um, analog what are you shooting with?
1: 7.2 uh, Rangefinder.
0: No, the Mamiya 7-2. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: So I get a nice 6 by 7 neg. Yeah. Uh, I bought that when I was Wendell's student. He's uh-huh. the one who suggested it. <laughs> so I should credit him. And it's stayed with me this whole time. Right. And then I'm I'm actually in the process of buying a digital medium format. Yes, I know. Yeah. You told me. So, But that, that'll that be the next because the next ones are going to be much larger than what these are. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So it should, as, as I go through, I'm trying to add all the different techniques I've been learning as well. And, and one of the things that as I was sort of thinking about this interview, uh, I never stick with the same thing. And I think for a lot of people, that's like bothersome. Uh, but I like the idea that I don't fit the process uh, to the idea, but fit the idea to the process. That's really important for me. And so I'm, I'm okay moving in and out of techniques that I'm unfamiliar with. And I'm not comfortable with if it means that the concept will come through more right. successfully.
0: You're not I going mean. to uh, buy a medium format digital and think, oh, now I need to do aerial pictures because I have no. all this detail, <laughs> <right?">
1: no. <laughs> no, no, nothing like that. And also just no. I, I don't like the idea that photographers often feel like they can't experiment, um, I think it's really important. Other mediums and disciplines, if you're a painter, you're experimenting, if you're a sculptor, you're probably experimenting too. Photographers get into this niche and they're like, I can only do this thing and- well, Especially for,
0: if you have a little bit of success, it's, yeah, yeah, it's hard it's, to it's break difficult. away. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But I mean, I feel like if you're someone who's good at what they're doing, um, you can shift subject matter, you can shift techniques and it still holds up. You know, uh, I don't think that, some people really value staying with the same thing, I'm just not that person. I'm Mm. not, I'm not good at that. (laughs) Yeah. I like to jump in in and out of different things and experiment and to really figure out ways to bring photography into kind of a different, a different point. Uh, I was thinking about this the other day, trying to figure out like what makes all the artwork I've done connected, you know, because they seem really separate because the majority of my work prior to about seven years ago was all portraiture landscape was not something I ever, I hated landscape. And so I've been doing this for a long time. And I was like, how do they connect? And I've always really struggled with just showing a single image. There's always like a layering component to it. Uh, in In the pieces I did for my stockton thesis show it had interviews and texts from the people who i was photographing uh it at pratt the histories project there were diptychs that were meant to be shown together and so I, i'm always sort of constantly getting another layer uh, i did glass work for for a period what so. do you mean by glass work so uh, i i still and this is probably going to happen in the next few years i uh, i do shadow boxes and those shadow boxes typically would have a single to two or three panes of glass and then a background image and on those panes of glass different parts of the image are inked on it
0: like Actually, an old lantern slide
1: Yeah, sort of, but they're screen printed on there, so so it's a little bit, so basically Mm -hmm. they're pulling parts out from the original image, so it almost makes a slightly three-dimensional effect to it, but it's always really stark, so like when I do screen printing, I don't get gradation, I don't get tonal value, I get starkness, because a lot of the work was about environmental degradation, so it was important for me to feel like there was something lost in the process, or something that was hidden something that somehow doesn't exist or is, mm-hmm. is in some way negative. And so the glasswork and the pieces weren't in traditional um, shadow boxes. They were in, uh, like one of some of them are cathedral and they can fold up. I actually did a naturalist case that you can fold together and oh, it's like nice. this piece. And so I sort of experimented a lot with those Out of layers. Out wood
0: and all? And yeah, all, yeah. V- all
1: reclaimed wood wow. um, and all handmade frames. Huh. So... I was going to say, people who love that work is probably like seeing this work and like, what happened? But I'll go back to it. But it's, I like to sort of move back, you know, back and forth into it.
0: So I just want to ask you uh, one more aspect of your life, and then we can take some questions and all. You can read some of your notes. If you
1: I know, want. I didn't use any of my notes. I didn't uh, use anything. I told you you wouldn't. know.
0: Them. But um, you, are li- <laughs> you are now living the glamorous life of an adjunct. <laughs>
1: Glambers. all right all right
0: <laughs> how many uh how many colleges do you teach at typically a semester i know you cut down a little bit but
1: yeah, yeah i cut down one uh typically I, I work at three to four colleges yeah yeah and you want to know my class load is that, is that sure. what you're gonna ask me <laughs> you wanna know, the behind the curtain of, of what your teachers are, are doing so i my class load ranges from five to nine
0: that's a lot yeah yeah
1: yeah. yeah. So I, my best semesters are five. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm like on vacation. It's wonderful. I love <laughs> it. Uh, it's still full time, but mm-hmm. at the same time, five is definitely the best. Uh, I worked nine for about three years. Yeah. Yeah. So I would, I think I counted, uh, for three or four years, I worked nine every semester and I wound up working roughly about 21 classes a year. Mm-hmm. Which, I, for those of you who are like, is that a big deal? Uh, what's a full-time number of classes you have to teach usually? Is it four or five?
0: It's, it's three to five, depending on three the to credit five. hours. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. We should see so the look she just different. gave me for
1: that. <laughs> I, mean, I have some really distinct feelings about being an adjunct, uh, both positive and negative. Uh, so. Absolutely,
0: I was an adjunct for five years. Yeah, I taught I mean, at four different schools. I used to wake up in the morning and not know what direction I was heading in. Yeah, right? you got to write it down. Yeah, it's. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, I commute anywhere from an hour and a half to three hours a day. It's, it's, it's not mm-hmm. an easy job. Yeah. I just happen to really love it, so it winds up making it worth worth my time. I just don't want to work that much. Because right. even at nine classes, you're not making that much money. No, so, right. So it's like not... And so if at nine, you're like, I'm like making so much money, that yeah. would be great. That's just not the case. And, and
0: I was just talking to Todd. Are you still here, Todd? Yeah. Yeah, you know, and, 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 a, and a number of other people who you know, you you do all this teaching and you get really good at teaching and then you start applying for the permanent jobs and all they want to know is your resume, your gallery list and your show list and your publications and all, right?
1: Welcome to catch 22 of being an adjunct. (laughs) Oh, you have to work a lot to survive, but also why haven't you published or exhibited in mm-hmm. like three years? I don't know. Cause I can't afford it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, to be honest, uh, that's why this took me so long. It's why I don't make a ton of work. It's not because I don't want to be doing this. I love to just do this for half the time and teach the rest. But uh, the reality is, is that in order for me to survive, I have to teach seven to nine classes. And even that's like getting by, but that's their minimum. Mm-hmm. And so I think the problem, and we've talked a little bit about this too, is that, you know, as an adjunct, you get stuck as an adjunct because you aren't able to publish or to exhibit or to go for grants because all that stuff is time. I mean, that's a lot of time you're dedicating to students. And unless you're a really bad teacher, you should be checking (laughs) your email all the time or, like, grading stuff. And so I spent a lot of years, in fact, the last couple of years, doing professional development, learning how to do critical thinking exercises and just trying to be better at my job because my job directly affects people's lives, students' lives. But that also means that what goes on the back seat is everything else that I do outside of it Right. and so yeah when you go for those full-time jobs it's like oh yeah we want that one that person who's exhibited internationally and you're like but how good of a teacher are they we don't know okay cool <laughs> <laughs> I think there's got to be some they'll have I a nice TA there. yeah, yeah,
0: I, yeah. Think,
1: I think we can accept that full-time uh, teachers should have a little bit of both mm. I don't think that's too much to ask is to ha- make sure a teacher's good at what they do but also make sure um, they have some ex- exhibition experience Right. but it shouldn't be one way or the other um, yeah that's the, and again like I, you know teaching has been a reward that I w- was was unanticipated um, I feel really uh, grateful for the time that I have teaching and for the students I have and for just the incredible relationships I've built from teaching but uh, you know this summer I took off. Uh, I actually only worked I think two classes because I was like I'm gonna scrape by because I have to do this. I had to take something out. But I, can't, I can only do that maybe once or twice a year. If Right. I, you know, even travel schedule. I have three months in the year that I travel. That's it. I mean, in, in the whole year, I can only pick like a week here, a week here. And other than that, nope.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, before we take any questions, was, was there anything else you wanted to mention about the show, about the work, about anything?
1: Interesting. Uh, I could consult my notes, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure... Uh, I think we covered mostly everything Uh, like I said I I am going to take over the Instagram for the photo show and so for those of you who haven't seen work from me prior to this um, I'll be showing you some of the portraiture I've done and some of the other things that I've uh, been sort of working on for a long time
0: so that's the Instagram account for this show which is real photo show it's actually Real Photo Show Facebook, Instagram, Twitter.
1: Yeah, and I, and I will say the other work is actually really personal, too, so there's going to be strong connections on it. The, the women's series I did under Wendell White uh, featured my mom. Actually, it was inspired by my mom and, and the things that she had experienced as a, as a woman. And then the second one was all about intimacy and the relationships I had with, with men and went back and interviewed and photographed men I had been in relationships with. Which was challenging. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. that sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, does anyone have any questions? Just come on up and grab the mic. Uh,
2: I'm Edward. Huh, nice to meet you. I'm, I like do art too, and a big part of it for me is what I like, what I'm feeling, and what I put out there, and how people see that, and if they feel that too. And when you you were mentioning how you showed your work to these like three or four students and they all cried I was wondering what that like did for you like what how that made you feel like as an artist
1: uh terrified to be I, I mean if you want my yeah, yeah, yeah. it was horrifying uh because I realized that I was making students relive this emotionally uh, brutal event you know and I and I had um I won't share those stories but they shared what stories that they were right you know, feeling. And so I think there was a little bit of horror, a little bit of terror about that, that it could be so strong that someone would respond to it like that and it would bring something up in their lives. And I felt, um, I was worried. Uh, but then it, when I sat with it and I went home and I thought about it, 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 I've realized that my discomfort with it, that's right. a societal thing. Yeah. That's, that's not on, on them. Yeah, no, and I, re- I realize I need to get comfortable with people reacting like that and giving them space and making sure that uh, I really appreciate their sharing of it yeah. instead of being like, whoa, yeah. that's... Because like, I mean, whoa. like past
2: past all the like initial emotions, I think like it's cool that you can share an experience like that and maybe somebody reliving it can like make them look at it in a new light yeah and, like I think that's really cool of you
1: well and one of the things that I really feel strongly about with grief is that it is something that universally we all go to, go through but our unique experiences are special to us and it's sometimes very difficult to have other people be compassionate or empathetic to those experiences. And so I will absolutely try my hardest now that I n- realize it might affect people in that way to just give space for that. I'm naturally a pretty empathetic person. If you cry, I cry. That's how this goes. <laughs> but um, again, I, I, I have to get comfortable with maybe publicly doing that, you know, and so. I'm, trying, I'm working on it, cool. basically. Yeah.
2: Okay, awesome. That's yeah. that's all.
3: Thank
1: you. It's a good question. Thank you.
3: Hi, Professor Casey. Hi. Uh, <laughs> thanks for uh, having the, having us out. Uh, this is really cool. So, um, my question is, with, with you mentioned with the three shows, this one um, was much more stark and kind of like to make you feel more alone, like more barren landscapes. The second would be a different format, which would which would make you feel more enclosed in, and then uh, the third one, I don't think you mentioned what the, um, emotional aspect or like that stage of the grief was that you were trying to represent with that. And I was wondering if, cause you, you, mentioned that it would be smaller details. And I was just wondering yeah. like what that was supposed to represent in the, in the series. In the series. And thank you.
1: Thank you. uh, so the last one will focus on small, minute details in the parks themselves. And my thought process um, when I started creating the project was that it would pick up on those bits of memories and those little pieces of that other person who you had lost. So I made it through most of it. Yes, <laughs> yes you did. Yeah. yeah, no, 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 that's, 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 it's not your fault. No, but I, I think that last one should really focus on um, the parts that are left afterwards because i think that's something that if you've ever grieved or lost someone that's really important to you you know at the end of the day it's not those big events that you remember it's these small segments and these little bits and so i wanted the idea of of magnifying those little small
0: the details quiet
1: places and pieces yeah yeah no questions for me wendell really (laughs) this is uh, i was going to say wendell uh, was my senior thesis and he always had like five thousand questions for me when I was in these, <laughs> so. I have one thing to say. Oh, okay. I, I, <laughs> so <know>. okay. okay.
3: <laughs> one say, thanks. Um, hi, my name is Wendell Light. And I want to say since um, both uh, Ryan and Michael brought up the uh, circumstance for adjunct faculty, uh, for, number one, Ryan is somebody who is uh, treasured both at Stockton for her contributions and here at Mercer and God knows how many other institutions. (laughs) But one of the things I just wanted hopefully everyone here to uh, take away from that part of the conversation is the importance of the life of adjunct faculty in every discipline and the degree to which unfortunately academic institutions rely too heavily on a kind of economic exploitation of the work that they do because they're not really fully compensated things have gotten better but not nearly to the degree that they should so i want to just personally say thank you because it's more than just the work because it's not fully compensated and say you know thank you for that
1: Well, and and just to end, just to kind of give a compliment back, uh, not every department is the same. Um, There are a lot of departments I work in that value me, that I feel uh, grateful for being part of. Um, There's a lot of things you can do to make adjuncts feel welcome and comfortable in your departments. Uh, Even if you can't pay them more, you consider their schedule, you consider their commute, you consider giving them feedback. And I'm lucky enough to work at Mercer and at Stockton and at Rowan and... At least those departments have been particularly generous to me in those in those respects. I can't say enough about Michael, uh, who got so me into Mercer. Mike
0: Welliver is here yeah. with us, there. Uh, <laughs> Our he, fine art coordinator.
1: He hired me two weeks before a class, and I felt like it was like a roll of the dice, but hopefully it worked out. And he's 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 always been very generous with scheduling, as has Wendell on the support system at Arhu at at Stockton. It's been amazing. There are ways to make adjuncts' lives better. Uh, if you can't pay them a lot, there are ways to improve their quality of life. And um, that's actually why I left that for school, was because uh, I didn't think it was working, You know, mm-hmm. not for me. I'm too old to be undervalued. Right. Yeah. So is that, should I just end on that note and like, just drop the yeah. mic? Yeah. yeah.
0: An- another question?
1: What are you going to ask me? <laughs> Uh, this is my sister, by the way, so <laughs> this is Colleen Casey. Hello. Hello, Hi. Ryan Casey.
0: Um, so I noticed that you integrated text into these photographs, and you spoke yeah. to how you've done that in other series that you've done, and yeah. obviously I've observed that because I've seen all of your work, so I just kind of wanted you to maybe expand upon the role that text has
1: in your photography. Well, and that's interesting, too, because we did not talk about the text at all, that's which, is, right. which is, is good catch, Colleen. Uh, and so... Uh, Text has been a pretty important element of a lot of what I I do because um, I'm really interested in giving context to the work that I make. And I find that whether that's through actual text, uh, for example, the uh, series I did uh, with Wendell at Stockton was a women's series. And those interviews gave context to the histories and the specific issues those women had uh, gone through and experienced during those during their lives. Uh, in the histories, uh, I gave a little bit about who the person was. There's also a series of of empty beds, and I sort of gave a little bit of background there. Texas has always provided me with a way of giving more of the story. In this particular series, it becomes surprisingly even more important. I didn't really anticipate that part of it. Uh, the text if you didn't read the artist statement all of the text comes directly from postcards and journals and letters uh, it's i know it's sort of archaic but Sarah and I constantly wrote letters back and forth, like we were those people. We had a journal that we passed back and forth from each other as well. And so the handwritten word, which is something that we don't see often, was a really important component in our relationship. And so the show, even though it has my name on it, is as much hers as it is mine, because every piece of text that you see here is her writing to me. And so it gives you an additional element of, uh, of what our relationship was and what she meant to me. Uh, one of my friends is crying in the <laughs> back. So so the text has been a way of storytelling more than I think imagery sometimes can. You know, and you don't always need text, but I feel like it's enhanced. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think that might be a good place to uh, yeah. to end it on. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan,
3: for thank you. Thank you everyone for
1: coming too. I, everybody yeah. is just thank you for being so generous with your time. Yeah. Thank you, <laughs> everyone.
3: <laughs> Thank you.